You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Useless Information Podcast. I am Steve Silverman. Useless Information. Hi, everyone. I hope you're doing well. Welcome to the third episode of the Useless Information Retrocast. Uh, Today, I have a bunch of interesting stories to share with you. So let's just dive right in and get to the first story. Well, on June 5th, 1926, Mary E. Mooring and Roy Hinton Matthews were married in Newport News, Virginia. Their romance began when the two met at a funeral that was being held in the boarding house where Mrs. Matthews lived. The newlyweds then spent two days honeymooning at a Roanoke hotel before they returned home. Now, lots of people get married each and every day of the year, but I have to tell you, very few of them have the news of their nuptials published in newspapers across the entire nation. So clearly there was something very unusual about their marriage. And it wasn't that the two had known each other very long. The bride told a reporter, quote, We have known each other for about two months. Of course, we've all read stories of people who just known each other for hours and they got married, so there's really nothing unusual here. And I have to tell you, it wasn't that this was Mary's third marriage. She was born in North Carolina, and she married her first husband when she was just 16 years old. Her second husband, a guy named Thomas R. Mooring, he had passed away just nine months prior to this marriage. But again, there's nothing unusual about this. You know, think about it. Lots of people get married shortly after losing a spouse. What got this couple in the press was their great age difference. You see, Roy had just turned 20 years of age and Mary was 72 years old. A 52-year age difference. And that may not be a world record, but it really was unusual. It still is highly unusual. The bride seemed very happy with her decision to marry Roy. She told the reporter of another couple that had a 54-year age gap, and they had been happily married for several years. Quote, I don't think we made a mistake, she added. I've always said I expected to live to be 100 years old. If I do... That leaves us 28 years, and we expect to be happy together. So I know what you're thinking. Would this marriage last? You know, the overall odds are certainly against these newlyweds. Well, sadly, the marriage failed. While there's no record of exactly what happened, Ancestry does have a copy of their divorce certificate, and it does offer up a hint, a big hint. You see, Mary was the one who asked for the divorce. After four years, 11 months, and six days of marriage, their wedded union ended on May 11th of 1931. The reason Mary gave for the divorce was, 
adultery. Roy went on to remarry in 1933, and he did have one daughter. He passed away on November 28, 1956, at 50 years of age. Now, the question I had was, did Mary make it to 100 years of age? And I have to tell you, I was unable to locate any information on her, at least after her divorce, so I'm not really certain. But there was a one-line legal notice in the December 24, 1945 publication of the Newport News Daily Press, and it read, quote, Estate of Mary E. Matthews, Address Unknown. Now, assuming that's the correct Mary E. Matthews in Newport News, she would have been approximately 91 years of age. Not quite 100 years, but close. You know what? We'll give her credit. She had a long life. So here's a question for you. Unless you've been living in a box and cut off from all of the world's news, you've probably seen pictures of the mass evacuations of people from Afghanistan as the United States pulled out of that country. You know, there were pictures of airplanes loaded with people, reportedly as many as 640 people at a time, you know, taking off from the Kabul airport. My question for you is, what is the greatest number of people ever carried on one single airplane flight? Now, you probably don't know the answer, so just give it a rough guesstimate. How many people were carried on that one single flight? Well, hang around for a bit, and I'll let you know the answer at the end of this podcast. On Friday, January 30th of 1953, 16-year-old Yvonne D. Fonda was arrested for cursing while skating at the Flushing Park Skating Ring in Queens, New York. Now, Yvonne lived with her mother at 13909 Fifth Avenue in Flushing, and she was attending Queens College at the time. The incident began when Yvonne was attempting to do splits on the ice. You see, every time she fell, she was simply let out an expletive. The management felt that the rink was too crowded for her to practice her splits and all that fancy skating, so they requested that she stop. Not only should she stop that fancy skating, but she should also stop using the foul language. But she refused and just returned to the ice and continued on with the curse words. So an attendant asked Patrolman Gerard Stanton to remove Yvonne from the ice, but she put up an incredible fight and he was left with no choice but to arrest her. He would later testify, quote, Not only did she resist, but she used words that shocked me. While appearing in weekend court, Magistrate Charles F. Murphy asked Yvonne's mother if her daughter cursed at home. Quote, Yes, Your Honor, she frequently does. But Mom also admitted to cursing quite a bit herself at home. Murphy told Yvonne, quote, I have a daughter 18 years old. If she made it a practice to speak to her father or mother in that fashion, she wouldn't be able to sit down for a week. What I'm going to do is very unusual. I don't generally set such a high bail on adolescence, but I want you to have a chance to sit quietly for a few days and reflect. The judge set her bail at $1,500. That's nearly $15,000 today. And he advised mom not to post bail. Yvonne was sent to the woman's house of detention. Well, on Wednesday, February 4th of 1953, Yvonne was hauled back into court. There, Magistrate Corning McKenney determined she was guilty of disorderly conduct and prior to releasing her, ordered Yvonne to return to the court on March 18th for sentencing. When March 18th rolled around, Yvonne brought her lawyer. 
He was Edward Condren. And he told Magistrate K. Irwin Shapiro that Yvonne came from, quote, an old American family on her paternal side. And he added that one of her forebears was an early judge. Condren also decried Yvonne's four-day imprisonment, pointing out she had been placed in a cell with three female communists and a pickpocket. Oh, my. Anyway, he suggested that it was, quote, a monstrous crime when a girl of 16 or 17 is placed in confinement and forced to consort with people of the type. Well, in the end, Shapiro gave Yvonne a suspended sentence, noting that she had a, quote, brilliant record in school. He felt that by placing her on probation, which was another option, that would have interfered with her studies. Here it comes! It's here right now. It's new, new, new Rinso. It's amazing, and here's why. New Rinso contains... Solium! S-O-L-I-U-M! Solium, the marvelous sunlight ingredient. New Rinso with Solium was developed in the world-famous laboratories of Lever Brothers Company. New Rinso with Solium washes white clothes whiter than new. I repeat that. White clothes come out whiter than brand new. And furthermore, New Rinso with Solium makes washable colors look brighter than new. And I repeat that. Washable colors look even brighter than brand new. No other soap in the world can make these claims because no other soap contains Solium. New Rinso is so safe for clothes, so kind to hands. Don't delay. Get it right away. New Rinso with Solium. That commercial for Rinso's from the October 15, 1947 broadcast of an old radio show that was hosted by Alan Prescott. Now, it's spelled Prescott, but he pronounced it Prescott. No show titles provided with the MP3 that I ripped this commercial from, but I do suspect it's from a show titled Time Out. And it was a show where Prescott would have a little bit of a chat with his audience and he'd tell them of the latest movies and upcoming upcoming radio programs and so on, and then he'd play some music. Each show was 15 minutes in length and it ran on the NBC network. As for Rinso, it traces its roots back to Robert Spear Hudson, who was an English businessman. And in 1837, he started taking bar soap and grinding it up with a mortar and pestle into flakes. His product, which was appropriately named Hudson's Dry Soap, was the first commercially successful soap powder ever, and that was mainly due to his heavy advertising. You know, newspapers, posters, horse-drawn vehicles, basically, if there was a blank spot somewhere, you'd see an ad for Hudson Dry Soap there. Anyway, Hudson died in 1884, at which point his son Robert William took over the business, and he in turn sold the business to Lever Brothers in 1908. They relabeled the product and then sold it under the names of both Rinso and Omo, and they slowly phased out the Hudson name until it was finally discontinued in 1935. It's unclear when Lever Brothers introduced Rinso into the U.S. market, but the earliest ad I could locate was dated September 5th of 1919. And it read, Rinso, a great help in the home, makes washing easy, just soak the clothes, that's all, eight cents per package. That'd be about $1.22 today. Rinso advertised heavily on the radio in the 1930s and 1940s, making it a household brand. Now, as I've discussed on the podcast before, the introduction of Tide, you know, the first detergent, that caused the sales volume of these older soap products to just plummet in the 1950s. 
As a result, Rinso was reformulated as a detergent with some bluing agent added and was renamed Rinso Blue. But sadly, that failed to return Rinso to its once prominence on the store shelves. It was discontinued in the mid-1960s. It was then reformulated again, but then it disappeared from retailer shelves totally by the mid-1970s. Then, in 1992, the 99 cents only chain purchased the rights to the Rinso name, and they prominently featured it in their stores. Now, there isn't a 99 cents only store in my area, so there's no way I could check to see if it's still available. Rinso, however, is still marketed in a number of other countries around the world. Now, I do have a couple more Rinso commercials that I'll play for you later in the podcast, so stay tuned for those. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industry shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. On February 15, 1957, 34-year-old Virginia Schoen had just finished washing the dishes in her home, which was located at 13680 Osborne Street in the Pacoima neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. Then, suddenly, a spoon fell into the sink's garbage disposal. Quote, I reached for it and I looked up at the window. I don't know what happened. Luckily, the power was off and she was uninjured. Yet Virginia had a much bigger problem. That is, both of her hands were now stuck inside of the disposal. So her 15-year-old daughter, Carlene, called the fire department to get help to get mom's hands out of the trap. So men from Rescue Unit 81 showed up and they first took the disposal apart, but her hands were still entrapped in an iron ring. So they then drilled holes and finally sawed through that ring and they were able to release her hands. Total time, an hour and a half to do so. Yet that's not the end of the story. Mrs. Schoen would have another run-in with modern appliances on September 4th. This time she'd been playing a game of dominoes with a friend as she ran her toes up and down the cool surface of the refrigerator door. Keep in mind this is in the days before air conditioning. And for some unexplained reason, this was never explained in the newspaper, she had removed the handle from the door of the refrigerator several weeks prior. 
And, well, let's let Virginia show and explain what happened next. Quote, I just found this hole with one toe, and then I rested my other foot on top of the one hanging by the toe in the hole. She continued, Well, that toe went to sleep, the one in the hole, and I couldn't get it out. Once again, the fire department was contacted, and they knew exactly where to go this time. That's mainly because it was the same rescue unit, Rescue Unit 81, that was sent to the scene. The firemen removed the door, they took it apart, and her big toe was finally freed after 40 minutes of appliance surgery. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here to listen to a few words from our sponsors, and we'll be right back after this. Welcome back. It's time for Footnotes to History, and these are five short little stories that really don't need any further research, and they were typically syndicated in newspapers across the United States and sometimes around the world. There's really nothing to add to them, so I'm going to read them word for word. And before I read the first one, I should just let everybody know, in case you don't know, some of you may not know, who John Bull is. John Bull is the personification of England, very similar to Uncle Sam here in the United States. And this is titled, Talk German Look Lovely. And its subtext is, English language deforms the mouth, a nobleman says. London, January 16, 1914. Exclusive dispatch. Lord Ashbourne, in a speech at a meeting of the Gaelic League in Vermoy, declared that speaking English continually deforms the mouth. He described Englishmen as having thin, prominent lips, long front teeth, and the general appearance of a measly rabbit. The German language, Lord Ashburn said, was strong and vigorous. The English language was in a state of decay. John Bull's future, said Lord Ashburn, was behind him. He was insular, and nothing would bring him in touch with the outside world. Okay, I speak English, so I must have a deformed mouth. Oh well, moving on. Our next story is dated April 9th of 1928 and simply titled Teeth. Matthias Blau of Chicago persuaded his wife Helen to have all her teeth pulled. Then he refused to buy her false teeth because, he said, it was cheaper to feed her on soup than on solids. Mrs. Blau went to court, was awarded two sets of store teeth, and at least a beefsteak a week. Judge Jonas told Mr. Blau that he had committed, quote, the meanest trick, unquote, he had ever heard of. Wow, could you imagine having your wife pull all her teeth out and not letting her buy a new set of teeth? Unbelievable. That's just plain cruel. The next story is titled, Leap Your Baby's Regular Event with Woman. Denver, February 29th, United Press. On February 29, 1932, in room 366 at St. Luke's Hospital here, Mrs. Ralphie Hansen, then 24 years of age, gave birth to a daughter, Marjorie May. On February 29, 1936, today, in the same room at the same hospital, attended by the same physician, at 9.41 a.m., Mrs. Hansen gave birth to a son not yet named. And just to make the leap year story complete, Two of the attending nurses, twin sisters, were born on February 29, 1916, and were celebrating their fifth birthday. Now, before anybody writes to me and says, how could they be celebrating their fifth birthday and be nurses? Remember, these are leap year babies. 
they only have a birthday every four years. And of course, 20 years divided by four means they're five years old each. Lazy Man Makes Tough Jobs Simple. Chicago Tribune Press Service, Washington, January 31st, 1947. A tip on how to solve difficult production problems was given the Senate Labor Committee today by Clarence E. Bleicher, president of the Chrysler Corporation's DeSoto division. There's a name you don't hear very often, DeSoto. Quote, When I have a tough job in the plan and can't find an easy way to do it, Bleicher said, I have a lazy man put on it. He'll find an easy way to do it in 10 days. Then we adopt that method. Well, my experience has been you put a lazy person on it and nothing gets accomplished. Anyway. And our last footnote for today is titled, Damn Missouri River, Book Disappears in Flood. Bismarck, North Dakota, April 24th, 1952, Associated Press. A patron notified the Bismarck Public Library he was unable to return a borrowed book because his home had been flooded by the Missouri River. When last seen, he said, the book was going down the Big Muddy. The title of the book, The Damn Missouri River. Now, damned is spelled D-A-M-M-E-D, as a dam on the river. In fact, the full title of the book is The Dam Missouri Valley, One-Sixth of Our Nation. It was published in 1951. It was written by Richard G. Baumhoff. And if you're curious about it, there are two copies of it on archive.org. This dramatic serial, which we hope you will follow with keen interest and keen enjoyment, is presented by the makers of the new 1937 Rinso. America's biggest-selling package soap, and appropriately so, because Rinso plays a dramatic part in millions of American homes. Rinso has the leading role wherever dirt is the menace, and Rinso can be depended upon to give a happy ending to the housewife's most discouraging chores, washing dishes and washing clothes. Even when battling great odds, such as water hard as nails, Rinso never fails to triumph. And best of all, though Rinso is cruel to dirt, it is kind to colors and gentle to your hands, never making them red or rough-looking. That is why, for clothes, dishes, and all household cleaning, Rinso is the headliner. So early in the podcast, I'd ask you what was the record for the greatest number of people ever carried on one airplane flight. So what was your guess? Well, before I let you know the answer, let me give you a little background first. On May 24th of 1991... Israel began Operation Solomon, in which they needed to evacuate approximately 14,000 Jews from Ethiopia. Now, this covert mission was originally expected to take 10 to 15 days to complete, but due to increased instability on the ground, the time frame was reduced to evacuating everyone within 48 hours. That's unbelievable. The plan, which involved 35 aircraft and 40 separate flights, was so well executed that all 14,000 were flown from Addis Ababa to Ben Gurion Airport in Tel Aviv, that's 1,600 miles or 2,600 kilometers away, in just 36 hours. This record-setting flight was taken aboard an LL 747-258C, which was designed to hold approximately 480 people under normal conditions. But to hold more passengers, the aircraft was stripped of all its seats and people had to sit on the floor. 
According to the Guinness Book of World Records, the airliner carried, ready for this, 1,088 passengers. That includes two babies who were born on the flight to Israel. Now, there were some conflicting reports as to the exact number of passengers, and it ranged from a low of 1,078 to a high of 1,122. But no matter which value one accepts, this world record currently remains uncontested. You know, getting the whitest, brightest possible wash you can is much more important than ever these summer days. That's when it shows up the most in women's dresses, men's shirts, and children's play clothes. Well, new rinse with Solium gives clothes a brilliance that you've never seen before. And if you'd like to prove it, try this. Do your next wash with rinse Then compare it with any other wash you've ever seen. You'll find that your white clothes are actually whiter than brand new. And your washable color is even brighter than new. That's because of Solium the amazing scientific sunlight ingredient that's in new Rinso and in no other soap. Rinso with Solium is an entirely new idea in washing clothes. It really gets them whiter and brighter than brand new. Say to yourself, do your next wash in new Rinso soapy rich suds. Rinso is so safe and so kind to your hands. Find out for yourself how new Rinso with Solium, even on rainy days, puts sunshine in your wash. I have to say, after listening to that commercial, which is from the July 20th, 1948 broadcast of a series called Call the Police, I'm not really sure how they can call Rinso new. I mean, it is the oldest soap that's ever on the market. Um, Also, that previous commercial, the one I ran before that, that was from October 19th, 1937. It was a broadcast of a series called Big Town. This particular episode starred Edward G. Robinson. And that shows more than a decade before Call the Police. How could the product be new? Anyway, I guess you can call anything new if you want. (laughs) Well, that brings this third retrocast to a close. If you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to contact me. Uh, My email address is steve at uselessinformation.org. And there's also a contact form on my website, which has the same address, uselessinformation.org. You can also use Facebook Messenger to get in touch with me. Just a reminder, my new book, The Flipside History, is currently available. You can also check out my two previous books. Those are Einstein's Refrigerator and Lindbergh's Artificial Heart. And all three of those books are collections of long-forgotten, quirky, true stories, you know, just like the ones you always hear on this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Useless Information Podcast through your favorite podcast platform, and you'll have immediate access to new episodes when they're released. My Twitter feed is at UselessInfoCast, and be sure to like the show on Facebook. Anyway, I'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next podcast. And thanks as always for listening and take care, everyone. Bye. All you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. So listen and subscribe to This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 
My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story, its unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts.